Hi, I'm Leisha Nelson, and you are listening to the Nurturing Resilience Podcast, where I weave together the worlds of somatics, science, and energetics to nurture a deeper connection to yourself. This is a podcast that covers a span of topics and ideas from guests storytelling rites of passage that catalyzed their resiliency, to nervous system and mind-body health education, to deep contemplation on topics such as cultivating connection to ourselves and others in a complex world. I can't wait to dive in to each episode with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Nurturing Resilience. I am your host, Leisha Nelson. Thank you so much for joining me today and my guest, Diana Eskender. Diana is an expert love coach and founder of The School of Love, has helped thousands of women around the world meet their matches and access deeper layers of love in their existing relationships. She's been named top second love coach by Yahoo, selected as a TEDx speaker, and featured on global TV, making her reference for women who crave a different approach to love, one that gets them out of their head and into their hearts. And I would actually add into their bodies. I met Diana a few years ago when she signed up for my somatics trauma-informed training And immediately I knew what a special person Diana was and the gift that she offered to the world. She has been inviting me into her groups where I share on attachment and attachment disorders and different anxieties that can really impede our connections and our relationships. And she has also really started to study and understand deeper within herself and to offer to the other women what is secure attachment. So that really has become Diana's focus is what is secure attachment? What does that even mean? In the last episode, I dove into the different attachment styles. If you have not listened to that episode, I would recommend going back and taking a listen so that you can kind of give an, get an understanding of what we're talking about here when it comes to when we are talking about more anxious tendencies and the transition and the story that Diana went through moving from more of an anxious tendency to where she is in a more secure place. And what I love about today's episode is not only do we hear about her journey, Diana reminds us that our anxious tendencies and our ways of being show up in more than just on our relationships. They might show up in our business. They're going to show up with our children. They're going to show up with how we relate to our family members, with how we relate to money, because everything is a relationship. Diana asks me some fun questions. We get in a little bit into my own shadows and you guys get a little sense of my own tendencies. It was very anxiety provoking for me to share this deeply on the podcast, but it was also a lot of fun. And we also talk about our relationship to the universe and our relationship to trust 
and how our earliest imprints and our earliest stories and our families and our families of origin really do create an impact of how we show up in today's world. It is a full, full episode, and I'm so happy to introduce Diana. Thank you for having me here. I've been so looking forward to this conversation. You know, it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, and you can share, obviously, we'll get into more what you do and what you offer. You offered a secure experience or a four-week program, and you do love coaching. You work with both single and married women. Do you work with men as well? I work with men in the couples. So I've been doing couples programs. So yeah, the men come in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, We're great. Maybe going to be launching some master classes for men soon. So I'm excited about that. Oh, I'm excited. Great. We can talk about what that means and how to bring that service to more men because it's so needed and the support so for men is needed. Yes. So yeah. Much. Mm-hmm. But mostly school of love yeah. is yeah. for women. Yes. Single women, married women, and in that program, you're really diving into relationships, how to be more secure in your relationships. Is that how you would describe it? Absolutely. You know, coming into that secure attachment is the thread just that pulls it all together, no matter where you are on your path. So whether you're just ending a relationship or you're starting to be exclusive with someone, it's that coming into that secure attachment is such a core piece of the work. For the listeners that maybe didn't listen to last week's episode or are new to you or interested in, well, what is secure attachment? Yeah. What's your definition of secure attachment? What a great question. Secure attachment for me really begins in the body. So it's the capacity to find a place of safety within oneself. And maybe for some people that's more accessible with the mindset first and choosing thoughts that help you feel more or help you feel safe, grounded, protected within yourself, right? And then for some of us, it's going to be more accessible through the body. And then the idea is to bring that feeling into all your relationships or the way you relate. So the way you communicate, the way you feel, the capacity to hold ambiguity, the capacity to hold that patience and that wait time when you're waiting for someone's response and keeping your body in a regulated space or even being aware that it's not regulated (laughs) and choosing to nurture yourself before needing the that feeling to come through or from someone else. But then I really believe at the same time, this is like we get to amplify and magnify that in our relationships and choose to relate to people who contribute to our sense of safety. And I think when we can really do that for ourselves, it becomes our standard. Mm -hmm. It becomes our standard, Our, our capacity to relate to people closely who don't contribute to safety, I think really diminishes when we know how to access that for ourselves. Mm. Wow. That's a long definition. (laughs) No, it's really, really beautiful. And it makes me think of, I actually named that in the last episode that when we move to secure, it actually might mean we're willing to end relationships because we start to have more clear boundaries and are more clear about what is safe. And sometimes, you know, whether intentional or not, sometimes people can't meet our level of safety and we're not willing to put up with crap anymore. Exactly. Exactly. It it becomes actually 
almost impossible to stay in that kind of relationship, whether it's a friendship or romantic partnership, because it's like your frequency, like you're dialed into just a different frequency and it just no longer matches. When I think about some of the men I chose to relate to, let's say in my teens or twenties, there would be no capacity for me to even be attracted the way I was at this stage in my life because what's attractive to me now is someone who shows up and is consistent and is reliable and and adds to my sense of safety mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. thrill of like the anxious chase which is where I always tended to be just wouldn't feel thrilling to me anymore it would feel unattractive childish just irrelevant for me at this stage so I've never heard your story I've only known you since offering school of love and helping women find secure attachment within their relationships and themselves. I would love, because the nature of this podcast is storytelling. (laughs) It kind of sounds like you went more from anxious and the chase to where you are now and you're married with children. Yeah. What was that progression for you? Ooh, very tough one. <laughs> and, and I also want to start by saying I still have anxious tendencies in my partnership today. They are nowhere near as electric and, and intense as they used to be. And I am with someone who does provide security and still I notice it within myself or I notice my anxious tendencies. You know, I get anxiously attached to my business perhaps. Mm. So like there's been a diversion of where the anxious attachment has gone. Mm. Secure my relationship, but let me get anxious about something else. Mm. So just to say it's a, it's a, a continuous evolution and nurturing of that part of me that I think will always exist, but just feel so much more seen and understood. Okay. Oh my God. Where do I start? Yeah. Okay. My first relationship, my first relationship was from the age of 13 to 21. Wow. Oh yeah. I don't play around. (laughs) (laughs) And when that ended, my ex, I guess at that time would say to me when we were really having like our closure conversation, he said to me, you know, if I can give you a piece of advice, don't be so available in your next relationship. And I really thought he was just, I literally thought he was just stupid. I was like, that doesn't make sense. How could I not be available? If we're in a relationship together, why wouldn't I be available? I don't get that. And it has never left me because I started to understand really what he meant in my experiences afterwards, where I could see, but almost couldn't stop myself from being so available that it looked like, you know, changing my plans at the last minute because the guy I really like texted me and suddenly wants to hang out, you know, without properly booking me in, you know, just the spontaneous, like, Oh, I'm free. Are you free? And then changing my plans. That's, that's how my anxious attachment looked like dropping whatever I had to do with myself or my friends or really trying to find a way to see them soon. So much relying on, my partners to make me happy, to create the plans. And when those relationships would end, it would be disorienting. Well, where so much of myself has been about this relationship and like you could say, you know, codependency big time (laughs) when the relationship would end. So I would say there were three major relationships in my life. And it was like, 
there was a sudden huge void. And it would be a signal to me, like how much of my energy had been poured into someone that when they're no longer there, I don't know where to direct that. So after about my third, we'll say four significant, you know, relationships in my life, romantic partnerships, I was just really decided, okay, I need to examine this. I need to examine this. I know that I'm beautiful. I know that I'm smart. I know that I have a lot to offer. And I'm sure a lot of women can hear themselves in what I'm saying as well. How is it that I keep coming to this place where I'm not being appreciated by the men I'm in relationship with? What is, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. And when I really explored that in depth over years, it just became so clear, like, you lose yourself. Your, your craving for their attention is bigger than your self-worth. You're not appreciating yourself. So they're not appreciating you. They don't see your value because you don't see your value. I didn't know anything about attachment styles at that time. So I didn't understand like, there's a reason. There is a reason. There is something that has created this path for me to feel like I have to anxiously wait for when I'm going to get that hit of attention. So that went on. I mean, that journey, (laughs) that journey went on until I was about, I don't know, let's say 25. And then it was like, okay, I need to understand this because this is really painful. Mm -hmm. This is really deeply painful. It's, it's gotta be another way. And when I started to envision what, would it be for me to be in a relationship and I just kept hearing home adventure and unconditional love and I could imagine my head up against this man's chest and and it was like oh this is like a secure foundation here this isn't my everything it's like my support Mm. and in that support that like foundational support I'm so free to fly And so I started to get the picture of like, oh, and get the feeling of, okay. So if home adventure and unconditional love is what I'm looking for in a partner, I need to set up on that journey with myself. And so it was really like creating the feeling of home within me. That was a huge part of the journey. How am I not showing up for myself? How am I not supporting myself? Where am I actually craving my own attention? And so that, like, that was kind of like where it all started to just shift and unblock. And very soon after, I mean, well, you know, I was on that exploration for probably three years or so. And I'd say, relatively speaking, very soon after, I met Jack, who's my now, you know, husband, and we have children together. And it was such a different experience. He showed up so securely. There was no drama that I was like, oh my God, if I had met this person even just a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have even been available for this because what I really was addicted to was this anxious chase. What created the feeling of chemistry and excitement for me was the, the fear actually that they won't be around. And what consumed my time and my mind my whole being was like, how do I keep them around? How do I keep them engaged? How do I make sure they keep loving me? 
when obviously the question that I needed to be asking myself was how do I want to keep loving me? Mm. And that those relationships, you know, I have so much compassion for my teenage and 20 year old self. And sometimes I go back to those memories and I help, I just help kind of like rewrite them or reframe them. And I just think you just, you didn't know. And it's okay. Mm. Oh my gosh. There's so much here. I've been writing down so many notes to pinpoint to make sure we come back to, I want to pinpoint some of those. And then if you're open, we can hear a little bit more about you and Jack and your relationship now. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one question I want to ask maybe some listeners that are listening to this and they, and you said, I spent time exploring these questions and really sitting with them and trying to understand them. I find that healing isn't one thing. It's like a combination of many things, but I am curious when you were exploring that, if there was, or are a few things that helped you or supported you to explore those deeper questions before finding Jack and coming to that place of how do I keep loving me? There are a few things, but they're not really like maybe the things expected to say. Some are. There was a lot of journaling. (laughs) There was a lot of writing. And just because, you know, it's one thing to think things through in your mind. But I find sometimes I can just create a deeper web if I'm not writing things out and seeing them, you know, for what they are and objectively. So there was a lot of a lot of that. And I had moved to a new city, mm-hmm. which is where I am now at kind of at the start of that exploration phase. And so for me, it was the chance to rewrite my whole story. You know, like I could be anybody, nobody mm-hmm. knows me. <laughs> I could be anybody. But what was fun about that is I could start to almost recreate my identity which is how I thought of it at the time. Looking back, I understand now, I was actually just allowing the unexplored parts of me come to the surface. So letting myself, you know, party late nights, like no judgment, just doing me outside of the context of anyone feeling like I had been, now there are so many things culturally that make it feel like I've been watched my whole life. I grew up in a church community, an Egyptian community. Everyone knows everyone. If you do anything, everybody kind of hears about it. So there is a lot of limiting yourself. So because I was in a new city, it was like, wow, I can actually do anything I want all the time. And there's no one who knows me. So it was, it, it would say it was like real life integration. It was like, making choices and assessing and sitting with myself. How did that feel? Does that feel in or out of alignment for you? Now that there's no one else's voice, there's no partner. There are no parents around. There's no community around. So I could actually just sense for myself for the first time really in my life. How does this feel for you? Does this feel good within you? Do you like this path? Do you like this way? So I think in many ways, my healing was my finding of myself, my rediscovering myself. And then I discovered she's really awesome and she's really creative and she's actually a lot of fun. So inside of that, it was this like falling for me 
falling in love with me. Mm. Like really though, like, oh my God, I remember, you know, and then I, I started working a year or two, a year, I think before meeting Jack, I started working for a branding agency in a magazine, doing writing, doing all sorts of different things. And the editor really was like a mentor for me at the time. And it was the first place that someone was open to talking to me about like the universe and the magic. And, you know, I was still in my early twenties. And, and so it was my first outlet to have those conversations. And it really awoke within me, this understanding that I was connected to the universe. So how could I be anything but unconditionally loved? So I think that was huge for me because I would walk around and be like, Ooh, I asked for this thing. And then this thing appeared and Oh my God, look at me. I'm magic. And when we really sink into that, like, look at me, I'm magic. Of course we start to like, you know, you start to your whole self-perception, my whole self-perception started to shift. Mm-hmm. My whole understanding of who I am started to shift. And I really started to have this profound self-respect. So as I, I, so I would say it was really like a practice. It wasn't, I wasn't working with healers. I was so green on my journey. It was so early for me. It was the first time I really could start to explore. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in practicing these different ways of being in my own life, by the time I met Jack, I, I really felt confident within myself. And while I could recognize that he was an exceptional catch, and it was very obvious from the start, it was the first time that I also witnessed myself really believing and saying, I am too. So many perspective shifts here. So many. And it was really just, it was, it was, uh, I didn't have a direct, I, I just went by my own feeling. There was no one I was working with. There was no one directing me. I just mm-hmm. found my way. What I love about this so much is it's really highlighting, you know, not to diagnose you, but you've spoken to this a little bit too, of you have a tendency to be more anxiously attached. And that anxious attachment is really looking at the other person and forgetting about self. And it really highlights to me this journey of you being like, okay, I'm actually going to orient to myself and fall Mm -hmm. in love with myself. Mm -hmm. And realize how magic I am and stop orienting so much to the external. And, mm-hmm. and when you did that, then this partner came along that was available to meet you in that. Yes. Yeah. And I just, I just love that. And I was on a walk yesterday and I had this thought where I said to myself, I inherently believe that the universe is good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes bad things happen Mm -hmm. instead of some perspectives is some people believe the universe is not good Mm. and sometimes good things happen. Mm. And it's a different perspective shift of, of, I really do believe the universe is magic and good. Oh, I really do too. And wants good things for us. Yeah. But that doesn't mean shit's not going to not happen. Yes. It's part of being human, but it doesn't mean that the universe is like out to get us. Yes. And to me, that's more of a secure attachment lens to see the world. Oh, I like that. Yes. 
you know, it's interesting that you bring that in because I really see myself as being in a partnership with the universe. And I, and when I teaching, especially women who are still calling in love, practice being in partnership with the universe and how securely can you ask for something, for example, from your partner or the universe and uh, trust that it's been heard and that it's coming, mm-hmm. right? How secure can I be in, in that experience? I really, really do appreciate that lens and I really see it in the same way. And whatever we believe is our truth. Actually, the book Radical Forgiveness too had a huge impact on me. Have you ever read that book? I haven't. I know it, but I, I guess I should probably Because those it. bad things, those like huge, huge traumatic experiences that happen in the world, you know, it's called radical forgiveness for a reason because it touches on things like the Holocaust and how that's all part of a bigger plan. And so even in the quote unquote bad things, the universe is like actually unfolding in a way that is meant to be for the collective awakening. Mm -hmm. So even in the bad, it's like, there is actually something for us. Yeah. And it's so hard when you're in it to be like, this is good for me. (laughs) This is good. The Holocaust is good because it's like, man, thousands of lives lost. And I mean, yes, so much, right? Like, oh, my heart just breaks for that, that time period and and what happened. And And still so much today, right? Still so much today. And sometimes I can get caught too. And they're like, how could how could anybody do this? How could this be this way? But I truly still believe at the end of the day, the universe is good. I don't believe the universe is testing us. I think, you know, people say that a lot. And I think to myself, from my lens, the universe is just asking me for a clear declaration of what I am ready for. Mm, What a beautiful reframe. Holy shit. My mind is blown right now. (laughs) It's just asking for a clear declaration of what I want right now. And you touched on something too, in that it takes time. This actually makes me think a lot about fertility and trying to conceive with clients that I'm working with and, and the journey of those that might not be getting pregnant right away Yeah, and feeling like, well, I must be doing something wrong or I'm not doing something hard enough. And it's just really understanding like it's coming there's a pause in there. And for whatever reason, something really important is happening in that pause for you. Yes. yes. Exploration, growth, a new way of having to show up in the world. Yes. Different ways of doing health. It's like what I'm hearing in that is asking, it's asking for detachment. And isn't detachment such a cornerstone of secure attachment, which is funny because they're almost opposite words, but it's like to practice being in secure attachment actually does ask so much of the practice of detachment. So much. And whenever I think about detachment, I studied Zen for a little bit. I always come back to the root of suffering is attachment. Oh yes. Isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) always it's always because if if something's going on in my life and I'm struggling it's usually because I'm attached to it being a certain way (laughs) absolutely and resisting the way that it is Uh also have a tendency to be more anxious and that's when my anxious tendencies come up even more yes oh yes 
<laughs> because it feels like it's out of your control. Mm-hmm. Right. It feels like it's out of your control, but you want it so badly. It's so funny. I remember when I was calling my friend, I'm like, I'm anxiously attached to our contractor. I need <laughs> that counter in the kitchen. And it's like, he's not answering. And then I find myself texting him a bunch. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm texting him too much. <laughs> I think about it way too much. I'm so anxiously attached to this counter contractor. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's actually one of the points that you wrote, that I wrote down when you said earlier, you might be secure in your relationship, but then you'll be anxiously attached to your business. And or other places. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so there's so much energy of your anxiousness and it has to go somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about that because I'm just having this aha moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I do that. Yeah. I'm really secure in my relationship, but then I'm putting all this anxious energy towards my business or towards yes. my family or yes. something. Something. What do you do when that happens? Yeah, right. I think, but it, 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 it does ask us to really see everything in our lives as connected. You know, I think the women are always surprised in our spaces how I, I allow them to talk about anything they want to talk about, and they're like, "But this isn't related to love or relationship or dating. Can I talk about it?" I'm like, "Yes." Because it, it, it doesn't exist in a silo, right? So your anxious attachment doesn't solely exist in the context of, you know, relationships with people even. Like we might have expanded past, okay, I know it's, I'm not just anxiously attached to my partner. I'm also sometimes anxiously attached to my mother or my father or my children, et cetera. But it's actually not only just to people, like you could be anxiously attached with money, with your business. You know, there are so many aspects of, aspects of our lives. So acknowledging that anxious attachment isn't specific to only people it's anything you're in relationship with mm-hmm. and anything really you're wanting so what i what i notice you know i think there are a few layers of this so one thing is like really always in the connection of our bodies i know when i'm an anxious attachment based on how i feel in my body my body feels contracted it feels uneasy i can't sit still i am checking my phone i'm looking for something I'm looking for something when I'm anxiously attached about anything. I'm, I'm worried about the arrival or the, the conclusion or how something's going to work out with anything. I am fancy. Mm-hmm. So when I notice those signals and I know for myself, these are the symptoms of my anxious attachment coming through, then I can choose to nurture my nervous system instead. And I love to say when there's doubt, that is an indication of a desire right? So if you doubt that this relationship is going to work out, or you doubt that this sum of money is going to come through, it is an indication of wanting something. And it's an invitation to detach. Yeah. And part of me too is like, okay, if I'm doubting something, it's an indication of wanting something. It's also can be a lighthouse Mm. of like, I'm not letting myself go after that thing. Mm. I'm not opening myself up to the fact that, and and like you said, staking that claim, like this is me taking my claim to the universe of like, I actually want this thing. And I, I think that's true with jealousy too. Like if I see other people and I'm like bugged, like, how are they doing that? And it's like, Oh, it's because I want, I actually want this. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So just really noticing it highlights the importance of the other emotions coming in. I get that way too. I have a tendency to want to just like have everything be perfect. Yeah. So that's how my anxious attachment shows up. It's like, if I'm projecting that onto my business, it's like, well, where, where can I fix my business and make it better and perfect? (laughs) Because then I'll be loved and have millions of clients and make millions of dollars. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But when you think about if your business is actually a, a, like a, a person, which person wants to be fixed? Like if you're actually relating to your business, you know, so it's one thing to say, how can I help? Or how can I make things seem more smooth or more easeful? Right. But that's a whole other energy. It's a whole other energy to fix. And, and how often have you tried to fix your partner or your relationship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those that aren't watching YouTube, we're both making a face of like, uh-huh, that doesn't work. <laughs> oh yeah. It never works. Mm-hmm. It never works. I was just having this conversation with my husband yesterday because we were talking about my son and recently like feeling like, oh, he's coming into a challenging period where it's been very smooth for months. And, and so, you know, I, I heard my husband saying things like, okay, I think he needs to do this. And I think he needs to do that and less of this and lots of that. And I was like, or we need to actually examine because he was saying less, less screen time. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Totally with you all the time. And I think we also need to explore our relationship with screens Right. And so, yeah, fixing, trying to fix someone else is never an easy route. It's like, what does this actually reflect within me? Mm-hmm. You know, Jack is really a secure partner. When I see him distant or pulling away, it's one of two things. It's either he's got overwhelm in his life with work and all the things that all the responsibilities, or it's because I'm anxiously attaching to him. I'm clinging on and he needs a bit of space. Mm-hmm. And so there's this like inquiry of myself, not because I'm doing something wrong, but because that's where my power is. Mm -hmm. That's where my power is, is to look within me and say, where am I playing into this dynamic? How am I helping create this thing? Where am I actually blocking myself? Where am I wanting it too much? Mm -hmm. Right. Which is such a symptom of, of that anxious attachment. And, you know, even, even on the avoidance side, you want things so much, but it's better, easier to just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. But it's that like inner exploration piece, that willingness to look within yourself versus like cast the blame on someone else. Yeah. That that's the stuff that changes your life. Yeah. I love that you brought in the body because 80% of the information comes from the body first to the mind. Like it actually starts in the organs and the heart rates and the stomach and the breath and the diaphragm. <laughs> I didn't know it was 80%. Yeah. Wow. So it's like all of that stuff is happening first. And then we're like scrolling on our phone or anxiously trying to chase our partner. And yeah. to me, that's such the body piece is that, you know, using you as an example, you, you said in the past, you kind of were addicted to this, the the chase. Yeah. Like the chase gives you this high and this dopamine hit and something is happening internally to your body as that's happening. And this old pattern might sneak itself in. Let's say Jack is overworked. 
He's overwhelmed. He has nothing to do with you. It has to do with work, but he'll pull away. And so this old pattern can sneak in of you to chase him. Mm-hmm. But if you pay attention to the body, all of those signals are going to, are going to be creating awareness first, Yeah, that, like that anxious contracted feeling. Yeah. And it's a moment to take a pause and be like, does this one, does this even have anything to do with me? Yeah. Like, is this even my story? Like maybe yes. he just needs a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and two, then that place of where you went of like, what's here for me? Yeah. What do I need to look at in myself? Oh, I'm going into this old pattern of where I might want to chase him. Yes. And I have this saying, I, I teach this to clients a lot. And this is a really beautiful space to ask this question. If, if you find yourself here is what am I making this mean about me? Because mm. mm-hmm. the story is Jack pulls away mm-hmm. and it's because of you and something's going on and something's wrong. And it's mm-hmm. like, actually, and you're making it mean something about you. Mm. when if we can take that pause and ask that question it's like man he just had a really rough day at work mm-hmm. and sometimes people need space yes it's so funny hearing you say that I'm like this is the actual conversation I just had with my five and a half year old mm. about his relationship with his sister because I would say he is more anxiously attached in general it seems and I don't want to diagnose him because he still has a whole life ahead of him and he gets to choose and decide how he wants to be, but he chases her. And then sometimes she doesn't want it. And I'm like, she's, you know, it's okay. You don't have to, when she, when she like screams, you know, she doesn't have many words so she scream. No, it doesn't mean anything about you. It means that she's teething. She wants some space. She doesn't like that particular thing, but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you doesn't mean she doesn't like you or want to be around you. She just really wants some space right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's so interesting to, to just hear you say that because it just clicked in like that is literally the exact conversation. <laughs> I just had with my five-year-old about his one-year-old sister, one and a half-year-old sister. <laughs> well, and I think that's so interesting because you as a mom, how much do you see in your children your stuff oh my god (laughs) absurdly annoying how much they reflect to me because I want to make it their stuff and like how do I help support them you know change this thing every time I go down that path I'm like whoa 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 you are forgetting that they're reflecting to you pieces about yourself And what I feel Cedric really Cedric is my five and a half year old. What he really pushes me into is like deeper and deeper and deeper nervous system. I like to say like nurturing nervous system, nurturing, like he gets wound up, he can get intense. And what he needs the most is someone who's very anchored. So just when I think I'm pretty anchored, I see an invitation to go further. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's so perfect to bring in the nervous system too. Cause at five, they have no frontal, the, I mean, they have a frontal cortex, right, but it's but not it's, developed. And right. 
they're so experiential and they're so in their bodies and they have a huge limbic system. (laughs) It's too big. big and so you as a parent has to you have to be the frontal cortex and I I never thought of it in those specific words you have to be the frontal cortex yes (laughs) you do yes yes and what does that take your own right like when you have a child with a big limbic system and or you know it goes in and out of it feeling that way it then asks like okay so I need to be deeper in my meditation practice because I need my prefrontal cortex to expand. Totally. <laughs> I big enough for all of us. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is just like the way of the, this is how I feel about the world. Actually. It's like, right, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have to be in my frontal cortex because half the world is in their limbic system. Right. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Oh, how much though, because before we were talking, before I hit record and we were talking about bringing in inner child and parenting. I mean, I watch my nieces and nephews and it triggers inner child stuff in me, like unhealed inner child pieces. So as your five-year-old is running around without the frontal cortex and just in his body and being very experiential, it's got to trigger some of your own inner child stuff. Oh, oh my God. So much stuff. Like, you know, when he's out of control, then I feel I'm out of control. It can truly feel like a threat. I feel like he's threatening my, my, my well-being when he's not in, you know, in his alignment or that's how I perceive it. We'll say Right. And so it's, it's like, I, I asked myself, like, what is so scary about feeling like I'm out of control or, you know, it's, and, and it can also bring up like, how can you just run around and do whatever you want all the time? I wasn't able to run around and do whatever I wanted all the time. Mm-hmm. Or if I see him, you know, have a hard time at the park with other kids and, or even like remotely sense he's being left out. It like just reminds me of, like this time being on a, we had these portables outside my elementary school. They're like extensions. They're almost like little cottages. Okay. These extensions, if anybody doesn't know. And, and I remember once being on the steps of the portable and these kids circling. And I would say I wasn't bullied very, very much, but he's circling around me and singing these mean songs. And it's like, that still lives within me because I see even, you know, remote anything like that with my kids. And it, you know, it sparks that within me and this wanting to protect them when, when really all I need to do is equip them with the knowing that how they feel about themselves is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So they don't need to worry about what other kids do or don't say about them. It's like, how do you feel about yourself? Mm-hmm. Man, that's gotta be hard when they're five. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. And you see, you see them all kind of following each other and wanting to fit in and you're like, just be yourself. But you know, it's, what is that still? He's developing that too, based on the information around him and what's presented to him. And he's still selecting what is, what are the things that I like? What are the places I feel most myself, you know? And there are so many, there are so many aspects of detachment. I would love for my five-year-old to like sit next to me and meditate and he does it sometimes for fun, but like literally 30 seconds and he's over it. Right. And so detaching from, it's okay that 
that's what he wants to move his body. He doesn't want to sit down mm-hmm. and breathe. He wants to move his body and just that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay that he is who he is. And actually the more I really let him know that the more I instill secure attachment within him, because he knows he gets to be loved regardless of who he is. And he doesn't have to perform for our affection mm-hmm. and performance. It is astounding to me. I do this exercise with the women that I work with. Uh, And one of the things, I can't remember which prompt it is. I think it's like in order for me to receive love, I must. And they're supposed to say the first thing that comes to mind without second guessing it, without changing it, without anything. And there's a whole list of prompts. And how many times on the other side of to receive love, I must, it's either give or perform. Those are the two answers. Whoa. Perform comes up so often. Whoa. I'm just like... I almost want to take a like say that question and take a quick pause so the audience. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And maybe I'll give a quick pause and then I'll say mine. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to read for you the list of ones that I have? Oh my gosh. Are you willing to? I'm absolutely willing to. Oh yeah. Let's do it. Okay, they're in my phone. Let me grab okay. it. We'll just take a little pause and I'll try not to think about my answer because I want to give space for the audience to respond. Yeah. And then we can hear your answers. And, and so everyone's going to know my, my shadows. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's really scary. It's really confronting. So for anybody listening and Alicia too, the way you do this exercise is I'm going to start the sentence. And as soon as I pause, you're writing down your answer. Don't worry about writing the prompt. Cause then you get too much in your head and too much time thinking you're not, even if you don't like what you said, <laughs> even if there's a second answer that comes after that, you know, you wish you would have the first answer that comes up for you is the one you write down. Okay. I'm going to write it while the listeners answers in their head or, or out loud or write it. And then I'll share mine. So that way it just like comes out. And speaking of the body, I'm just going to name like, Oh my God, my stomach just went into knots. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Very confronting. <laughs> All right. We're diving in. Right, here. There's probably, there are about like maybe 12. 12 choose let's well let's do all 12 why not you know what I'm gonna choose no I'm gonna choose there's some that are a little less relevant here I'm gonna choose the ones that are most relevant perfect okay ready trust is the universe is love is in order for me to receive love I must I will have love when relationships are. I feel safest in love when I feel closed off to love when I am. Okay, I did way better than I thought I would. Amazing. I left out some that would have really trapped you, like sexuality is, my sexuality is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, there is one answer that really surprised me, so I have some work to do around this one. Which one was it? Um, So will you repeat them and I'll say it? Yeah, so I'll repeat exactly. So trust is? Love. Love that. The universe is? This is the one that surprised me. Scary interesting I know I'm like what 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm like starring that for sure. Love is happiness. In order for me to receive love, I must do well. Perform. Perform. Mm-hmm. Perform. I will have love when? Now. Relationships are? Healing. I feel safest in love when? I'm held. I feel closed off to love when? I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) Good insight. I am? Love. Beautiful. So there's two there that are like a little bit of a head nod, you know, like a little curiosity. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really interesting to bring in that performative piece. Yes. And what I noticed too about my answer is the do, which means an action. Yes. Yes. And I would explore how you, how that relates to you and your business. I think there's a huge insight piece for you there. Mm-hmm. Right. I have to do well to receive. Mm-hmm. So it's, it makes me think again, this action piece, which is so much of what I've been exploring the last year or so of yeah. being versus doing. Yeah. Same. <laughs> And how much can secure attachment be about being versus I have to do something or I have to perform? Yes. Yes. Isn't it interesting how much performing comes through? And I mean, the way it's worded is a little tricky because I will receive love when, or in order for me to receive love, I must. Mm -hmm. So the must piece almost implies you have to do something, but Mm -hmm. it's, and it's written that way intentionally. Mm. but for me I've worked a lot on receivership it's open I must open Mm. and so there's actually nothing for me to do there it's a it's a beingness yeah because being is you just are open you just are open when you're being which is also really it makes sense to me why you do talk so much in your instagrams and facebook posts about receiving because I'm seeing now the relationship to that insecure attachment. Big time. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah. So especially with more anxiously attached, which, you know, like we've said before that those are the people who tend to seek out services like coaching. So it is the majority of who I end up working with, but I absolutely work with so many women who are also more on the avoidance scale or a mix of the two, or sometimes they're not really sure. Right. Or they kind of show like a little bit of ambivalence or, you know, so the anxious attachment, often symptoms of that show up as overgiving, overthinking, overdoing and performing Mm -hmm. because it's this piece of like, what do I have to do to get you to give me attention? Mm -hmm. What do I have to give or do to get you to remember me? What do I have to give or do to get you to pay, a t- like, like turn your focus towards me? And, 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 and we, what we are essentially doing is, have you ever read the Celestine prophecy? I don't know if it's Celestine or Celestine, but the Celestine prophecy is how I like to say it. And he talks about energy theft. The author talks about energy theft and it's this, that's how I see it as like, we're, we're trying to plug into someone else's energy and take their energy because we're not, we're not connecting actually to force. We're not connecting to that, like that 
unlimited potential of energy within ourselves. So there is this perceived safety in giving and doing. And, and also it's really celebrated in society. You're such a generous person. I actually consider myself to be a very generous person. And I love to receive because I also know, okay, can I talk about this in the context too of like very heteronormative terms and man-woman relationship in that dynamic or in your dynamic where you are wanting to take more of the feminine role in the relationship and you are wanting your partner to be more in their masculine for that to really be in balance you either it requires a comfort one of the feminine qualities is to be in receivership Mm -hmm. so masculine energy is very outward it's giving it's penetrating it's out feminine energy is inward so if you could see what i was doing right now it's like a circle within myself i flow my energy within myself and so then creating this really beautiful portal to receive. Mm-hmm. So in my business, there are moments where I'm very out focused and I'm giving and I'm doing and I'm creating. And then there are moments where I'm just pouring into myself and flowing into myself and, and my, and my quote unquote work is to actually just be a very powerful portal of receiving the masculine. Mm-hmm. So if I want my partner to feel really my very, my, my partner who happens to be in a male body and who likes to be in his masculine, where I like to be in my feminine, if I really want to have that like yin and yang balance, it doesn't mean I never give things or do things or make them a meal, but I am really comfortable in my receivership and I'm really comfortable in my being. So the other day I was on the call and I said, yeah, of course my partner loves it. If I make a nice meal, of course, like who doesn't want to eat a delicious meal, but you know what he loves the most in guess when you sit down and enjoy it with him, that too. <laughs> I'm in a good mood mm. when I'm in a good energy, when I'm playful, mm-hmm. when I'm fun to be around and he feels really good around me and feels really at ease around me. Mm-hmm. Right. So we also have to think about secure attachment to this. Like when I can sit comfortably within myself, notice where you're overgiving, you're overthinking, you're overdoing, you're performing is actual anxious energy is either going to create anxious energy in your partner or repel them. Mm-hmm. When I can sit in my secure attachment, just be comfortable and at ease, just receiving even the moment. I allow that limbic resonance, right? I allow that to be felt by my partner or the people in the room with me. And suddenly they feel more at ease. Mm-hmm. And it's not performative. It's not performative. Like you're not plain and calm in a like, well, I'm going to pretend that I'm fun and calm. Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you said that because that is really the case for uh, Ty and me. Yeah. Like that is the number one thing he'll say. Like you're, I'm having a hard time with you right now because you're being overly grumpy. Yeah. And and I don't mean this, like he's not like complaining about me here, but just yeah. when we have, if we're going through a rough time and we have a relationship talk, I guarantee his perception of me is that it's because I'm being grumpy and whether that's truth or not, that's his perception of me. And usually those times are because I'm in overwhelm. Yeah. And being much more in the yin masculine energy or like penetrative energy, trying to get shit done, usually in my work. Yeah. 
I've lost my connection with nature and intuition and he's a big nature person. Yeah. So I've lost like what you said, like that circular flow. And then I come across as more grumpy. Yes. Yes. I'm short tempered and I just am like, I'm a human. I'm short tempered sometimes. Yes. Same here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting because that is the thing that Ty will say the most. Yes the most right so at the end of the day if it like if it's a choice between you know feeling like you have to make a meal or keep the house super clean or do something because you think that's what someone else needs unless it's what you really need and want like at the end of the day if it's a choice between that and actually being more relaxed and at ease and playful and present I guarantee most people would prefer that you are in your playful presence, Mm. even if they don't know it, even if they think the thing they really want is to have a clean house, right? That, 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 that energy of flowing into myself and being in that receivership that requires so much security. It's not a passive thing and it's not an entitled energy either. It's not a sitting on my throne and everyone gives to me. It's I am at ease to allow you to compliment me or bring me my plate of dinner or offer something or pleasure me, you know, be in my pleasure and to receive that. Mm-hmm. And it's very intimate. It's very intimate to be in your receivership. You know, I'm very comfortable if I'm out with a friend, very comfortable receiving with my partner. Where I'm stretching is with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So when I'm out with a friend, it's very natural for me to say, Oh, I'll take the bit. I feel good about that. And that's great. And it comes from a generous place, but also it feels very intimate for me to allow someone to treat me and say, no, this is on me. I really want to. And to really like take a breath, relax my body, which is my portal to receiving my vessel for receiving and really take it in. And let that person have a moment of generosity that feels good to them as well. Mm, That's so beautiful. Would you say that's the majority of really what you're working on with with clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Because it's taking them out of that forward, anxious, chasing, needing to know, validating, proving, keeping, holding on to this more like relaxed stance in their body you know, and I have them play with that on the chair, wherever they're sitting, can you actually just sit still in this sort of centered place and leave some space for someone to come to you? How many women tell me my partner doesn't try hard enough. They don't put in effort. I'm the one who does all the things and And I'm like, well, okay. How much space are you leaving for them to show up? Really? Yeah. I was going to say space is really difficult for someone who might, well, it's for both, for both anxious and avoidant. It just shows up differently. Shows up differently. Yeah. But for the anxious, it's like the inconsistency is what led to the anxious pattern. Yeah. That inconsistency of the space of attunement, no attunement. Yeah led to that dysregulation and so we're put into an adult environment with our our partner yeah and the same that space yeah is so uncomfortable yes yes 
It's so uncomfortable. Space to me, you know, I was on a podcast once and I didn't expect this answer. She said, what are the three most important things in a relationship? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was spaciousness. Because knowing how to play with space, sensing someone's need for more or less space, sensing your own need for more or less space, this kind of cushioning, this like, okay, right now I can just be in space and allow for there to be like movement of energy. But when there is no space, it's like whatever the dynamic is, it's like it, it's, it, it stays locked there mm. when there's no space for anything to be created differently. Mm when I am wanting the universe to give me something, when I'm waiting for a client to show up, when I am desiring my partner, when there are all these, you know, when I am talking about it all the time, chasing it, following up, questioning it, there's no space for it to be delivered and provided for and for someone to show up for me. So it makes me think of one of the women when I was working with her and she was a lot in her anxious tendencies and, and she following up on the date okay, well, I just sent a message to say like, okay, but are we still on for this date? No problem. But then she would complain about why does no one come to me? Why does no one put effort in me? Why am I always the one creating the plans and following up, the, up on the plans? You need to leave some space for people to come to you. You have also taught them what to expect in the dynamic with you, which is that you're going to do all the work. Mm. And that's not even their fault that's just what's been created that's what they know this is the dynamic you've both created mm -hmm. yeah I remember when I first started dating my husband I don't know who told me this but they said whatever you're doing now whatever patterns the ways you're behaving like pay really close attention to that because you're more than likely creating the pattern of your marriage of like the rest of your relationship so it's yeah. like if you're constantly calling and constantly doing things and constantly checking in and, call, you know, it's just like you're creating that dynamic and that pattern and your partner's like, oh, well, that's just how they are. And that's how they respond. I don't have to, to do the other side of that because they're doing it all. Exactly. And when you are someone who does it all, you will tend to attract people who are really comfortable with not doing having you do and them just being on the receiving mm -hmm. so if you think you're with someone who's like more selfish and you tend to be with people who are more selfish I would ask you to examine how much doing you do in those relationships mm -hmm. and it seems sometimes like well I have to my partner doesn't do the things I have to do them but you know it's like which came first mm-hmm yeah. And I, I see this a lot on social media and I, I hear a lot of moms talk about this of like, I'm doing everything. And some of that, some of that doing everything is the dynamic and the relationship. And yes, there's some stuff that their partner also needs to work on yep. the space yep. and that maybe their partner does it differently than the way you want it done. Yes. That, that one's hard. Learning. Yes. <laughs> That was a huge learning. When we had our first child, I realized, I, I remember this so clearly. Can't remember exactly how old Cedric was, but it was he was little, like under three months old. And Jack, my partner, comes to me and he says, okay, how do I, he was asking me something about his vast. Should I do this? Should I do that? What time? Da, da, da. 
And I was like, ooh, I've created this. Mm. I've made Jack think that he can't do it right and he can't do it without me right. So now he's coming to me, which is what I don't want. But I've created this. Mm. I've shown him that I don't actually trust him to take care of it. And I would say that, especially if you're relating to a man, and you want to be in your secure attachment and invite them into theirs. One of, the, one of the best things you can ever say to your partner and really mean is I trust you. Mm. I would say it's even more powerful than I love you. How many people do you love that you don't really like? Or how many people do you love that you don't really trust? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that you brought that up because I get this question a lot of like, well, what, what if I don't trust my partner? Yeah. What if you don't? But if the trust isn't there, it's like, now what? Yeah. Now we have to look at some real stuff. Mm -hmm. Now we have to get real. Mm -hmm. How much of that is yours? How much of that is what they've not done or done? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Like how much of that is your own tendency? When I look at myself, not trusting Jack or Jack says to me, can you just trust me? It's not because he's not trustworthy. It's because I have this tendency to not trust. I have this tendency to question and chase. So this is, he's just, he's just one of my victims. (laughs) This is me trying to exude control to to try to find some sense of safety for myself. I control because I want to, I'm seeking safety. That's why I control. Yeah. And again, to bring up, and I don't, I don't know your childhood, just bringing up research and my own situations that usually what's playing out in our life is an imprint. It's a reminder of what's actually happened in the past and what's actually happening in the present, probably it might be happening, but not to that extreme and not to that, that way of what was happening in the past, especially during your early, early childhood years around trust and and space because trust is built upon, upon space and knowing that you have a safe haven as a child, you know that you have a parent that is safe and attuned to you. And if that's not happening, there's the story of trust can't get built. Yes. Yeah. So I just have so much compassion for my little one. And like, when I mean little one, I mean like baby. Yeah. My baby self. I even like in the womb self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. The womb self and I'm doing a lot of pre and perinatal work and just going through, I'm going through a somatic training around pre and perinatal work, which means I'm going into my own pre and perinatal work right now and having so many somatic memories of me trying to care for my mom in the womb because of the stress she was experiencing and all the things happening and feeling that as a baby and creating that pattern now, then of like, I must do everything for other people. I must show, I must be like quiet, contained and, and perfect 
so that I'm not an additional stress to this environment that I'm coming into. Yes. Yeah. So much compassion for that, for my mom and for my little one. I'm like, oh, this isn't me. This is the environment that I came into. Oh, yes. Being the quiet, not difficult one was my role in -hmm. our family. Yeah. And it's funny because yesterday my mom and, you know, she means it with so much love She's like, oh, I was just telling your father yesterday. It was so easy with Diane. And I'm like, it's funny because we celebrate that. And I see it too, you know, even when people see Sophia or Cedric being calm and they're like, oh, so nice. And like, well, you know, it, yes, it's challenging when they are strong-willed and voice their things, but also so necessary. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, why do we celebrate? I it's easier on the parents when the child is quiet and keeps to themselves. But it's interesting that we celebrate that as like, oh, you're so lucky that that's how your child is. Or we say as an adult to the child, oh, you're being such a good boy. Oh my God. I, yes. I stay away from good girl and good boy. Like I can say that was a really kind thing to do mm-hmm. because it's not a label I put on him. Like that was really kind. Cause I don't think he needs to just be really kind. He could be many things, right? Mm-hmm. So if I really keep saying you're kind, you're good. Yeah. I understand that those aren't such bad things and to, to hold the label of I'm kind is not such an awful thing, but also you are so many things. You're also really strong willed that you're also really creative. And so as long as it's the balance, you know, but I find if I can detach and it's point to the action as being that's a kind action that's a nice thing to do that's a considerate thing to do it's like you know that that's an outlet through which you can express kindness Mm -hmm. but you are not only just kind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost just like labeling it makes me think of meditation you're just labeling the thing (laughs) that's happening labeling so many labels that is really fascinating how our society does that, that like we reward the quiet, calm, contained child. And gosh, well, I, I think we assume as well that they're all taken care of. Mm-hmm. We assume that they don't have any needs because they're quiet. Mm-hmm. Right. So we assume they're taken care of. But really how much of that and research shows with a exactly. more the avoidant. Exactly. Are they just in shutdown? <laughs> are they detached from you? Detached. Yes. Are they just in shutdown? Have they just decided that I'll take care of myself? Mm-hmm. You can't meet my needs. So I'm yes. just going to contain myself and be quiet. Yes. Oh. Yeah. My heart, my heart just goes out to like the planet right now, like all the children and everything everyone's going through. It's just so much. It's so much. Yeah. And, you know, knowledge is power because we know we're learning these things and we're starting to understand these things and create more change. And, and so like, that's the pro that's the good. And at the same time with that, there's some grief. Yeah. So much, right. Yeah. And just, 
just compassion, compassion for my brothers and sisters and and like yes. me and how everyone's getting praised. And I really yeah. do, again, believe most people are just doing the best they can. Yes. Same here. Same here. Yeah. And you marked, you said this very, in the very, very beginning, they just didn't know. It's oftentimes just people don't know or the understanding's not there. Yeah. there And, and you know, it's, it's almost like being, a human come with its like guaranteed complexity, right? So the, it's almost the way we're wired as our, in our journeys as humans, there it's an impossibility that you will not imprint something on your children or that you will not be imprinted on. It's just the nature of the design, right? Mm -hmm. So also, you know, then comes in the question of like, how are you repairing and how are you supporting once you do know, and you'll never get anything perfect, but are you willing to be curious, are you willing to grow? People, you know, ask me, can you be in a relationship with someone who has more avoidant tendencies? Absolutely, yes. Just like they could be in a relationship with you because you have more anxious tendencies, right? It's, is there a willingness mm-hmm. to admit that, to, to, to be truthful about that, to, to grow towards secure attachment, to, to balance their needs and your needs? Are they willing to work with you? Is there a willingness? And what's the most important quality to look for in someone? A willingness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without yeah. that, you'll stay stuck. Whatever the dynamic is, is what it will be. Mm-hmm. With a willingness, things can always evolve. Right. And it does have to be from both parties. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And unattaching from the willingness of what your partner's willingness might look like. Yes. They might be willing. It just might not be in the way you want or the way you mm, thought. Such a good point. <laughs> we have to such detach. It's complex. <laughs> so complex. Relationships yeah. are so complex. <laughs> so complex because you're bringing two people with their own points of view and their own nervous systems and their own imprints and their own memories and their own ideals and their own fears and insecurities and worries. And you're combining them in one household. And then you might add more people into that household. You know, you create children and then it's like, what tools do you actually have to nurture your own nervous system? Right. There's, it's almost, there's a whole, I'm so aware. I was just telling Jack yesterday my biggest assignment right now is to keep nurturing my nervous system Mm -hmm. for the whole family. Yes. That's my assignment. It's not, how do I get Cedric to do this? That's our son. How do I get Sophia to do that? Okay. I get that conversation, but we also like, we have so many tools we work with. We, we, there's, there's like, it's not up to our five-year-olds to change something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to look within ourselves as the adults and say, what do I need to look at first? Mm. Even within my relationship with my partner, what do I need to look at first? I know you need to look at things we all do, but my true power comes from that self-reflection. That's where I have the most agency over change. Just like breathing that in. Yeah. Self-reflection. That's where I have the most power to make change. I love that. 
Yeah, because that's where we do shift from the universe is scary <laughs> to the universe. universe is scary. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like who said that? Who was just driving the bus when that one popped out? But the universe is scary to the universe is love. The universe is supportive. The universe is whatever. Fill in your own your own blank there. Yes. And I can only get to that space by looking and being curious about that and choosing to make some change. Yes. Doing the work, doing the work. Yes. It's I've been my word this year instead of work for anybody who wants to take it has just been devotion. So devoting to myself, devoting to my inner child, devoting to my partner, devoting to our children, you know, devoting to my movement in this world and the beautiful people I get to work with. It's this devotion, just constant devotion. Yeah. And that I get to. Yes. And devotion to the nervous system to bring it back to what you said, what you need to do right now, like your job, quote unquote job is to nourish your nervous system. Yes. Because when your nervous system is nourished, the strongest energy attunes. Yes. Everyone attunes to the strongest Strongest energy. Mm -hmm. So if you are nourished and you are calm and you are balanced, not even calm, but just you have that alignment of regulated nervous system. Yes. Your children and your husband will attune to you. Yes. And your clients and your business. Yes. And it's in the decisions, like there are real tangible ways in which to do that. Right. So for me, that means uh, less coffee and less phone and more time in my life, more time outside, more time in my books, more time moving. So you get to decide like, no matter where you are on the scale of anxious, secure, you know, avoidant, what is truly nourishing for your system. And I guarantee that as you really focus on those spaces, you will see the result. Like you will see the changes in your world. You'll see the changes in how you respond to people and how they respond to you and how you feel around people and how they feel around you. Mm-hmm. It's that nourishing of our own nervous systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Uh, I know I'm biased, but it always comes back to the nervous system. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Yeah. yeah. The nervous system, the body. It's amazing. Oh, such a good conversation. I would love for you to share anything we haven't touched on that you were hoping we would have talked about or feel important to share. I really feel like we touched on so many good, like golden pieces here. No, that feels pretty complete for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different ways to work with you, to be in your energy field. Diana, you guys, she's amazing. She's offering so much as far as moving to secure attachment, moving into secure relationships, just in partnership, mm-hmm. partnership, you like you offer so much. So let us know how we can be in your energy field. Oh, well, thank you for the invitation. I'm a generator. So I, I do love to respond <laughs> as my podcasts are such a dream for me. I'm like, please ask me all the questions. <laughs> I will answer anything you want to ask. 
Okay, so school of love is really the umbrella of which everything falls under. So I have the inner circle, which is a really intimate six month journey. Uh, and that's where we're really journeying to full receivership. Inner circle is arms wide open, ready to receive your love, your abundance, whatever it is that you are desiring. Uh, portal of love is another space where we journey for 12 months together in a slower way. And it's really about like that heart starting to open and own that you do have standards and you do have boundaries and you do have a voice and what those standards are. So it's that like that heart starting to open. Uh, and we are also going to be hosting another round of connected couple probably later this summer fall. So it's a journey for couples to go on together in, you know, deepening their connection uh, with one another. And then between that, I always have master classes and offers that just feel like they need to be birthed. So they will come through, but those are the main core spaces that always exist for people to journey on. Amazing. So, cause one thing I want to know is, is school of love is that an open or closed group? Like, do you run this in like programs through times or can anyone join anytime? So uh, Inner Circle and Portal of Love are open anytime. We've we've made it that way. We've changed it. It used to be Inner Circle was open and closed. And now it's always open. For Inner Circle, it's never more than eight women at a time. And Portal of Love is open for anybody all the time. Amazing. And then I know you have a Facebook group and you're also yes. active on Instagram. How can we yes. find you? Yes, Facebook, Fear Less Love with Diana. So that's the space where I love to share a bit more of my intimate shares in there since, you know, it just feels like kind of I've carved out my own little community in there. That's a great place for us to connect. Dianaiskander.com is my website and Dianaiskander underscore on Instagram is where I love to do like the reels and the stories and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah. And I'll put all of this down below in the show notes, but it's kind of, I mean, it's great to follow you on Instagram because you also every so often, like you did the secure experience, mm-hmm. you do little things here and there that are like smaller chunks yeah. so that you can get smaller yeah. tastes of what you're offering. I do. And the master classes, I tend to do a master class every two months. So the last master class was the secure master class. <laughs> it was just secure. It was called secure. The one that we, that was two, two classes ago, the most recent class we did was design your sovereign dating experience for women who are dating and calling in that partnership. So I offer these really small chunks as well by way of master classes and then sometimes shorter programs and shorter offerings when something comes through really powerfully and like I need to share this and I'm going to create a space where we can go into it really like with with a lot of potent intentionality for a shorter period of time. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. And I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge all about attachment, the body, your story. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining my conversation today with Diana. All of her information and how to get a hold of her is down below in the show notes. And of course, All of my information is down there. If you have any questions or want to do deeper one-on-one work with me, please feel free to reach out. If you enjoy today's episode, please consider writing a review 
or sharing it on your social media pages or sharing it with friends and family. And if you haven't already, you can sign up on my Substack to never miss an episode. I always post when I release an episode on my Substack and the link to sign up and follow me there is also down below. All right. Thank you so much. Until next time.